Hey guys, uh, welcome again to RUF, except for not welcome again if it's your first time. A uh, special welcome to you if it's your first time. We actually have some special guests tonight, some parents uh, with us. We love you guys, um, which is really ironic considering the passage we're going to look at tonight. Um, but anyway, it's really good to see you. My name is Chris. I'm the campus minister. If I haven't met you, I would love to. Welcome to RUF. It's really, really good to have you. Um, this semester, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. And uh, tonight, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. If you want to go ahead and turn there, if you have a Bible with you, or else it'll be on the screen, hopefully. Um, and Paul starts this letter to the Ephesians and says, look, there's this mystery that God has been doing. And he, he is revealing it now in Jesus. And the mystery is this, that he is going to unite everything that exists in the universe in Christ. Okay? And that Jesus is coming now, here and now where we are, to transform our lives and to roll back all the effects that sin has had on the world. It's like that uh, part in Jurassic Park. I'm not dating myself too much to say Jurassic Park, right? You guys have seen Jurassic Park. Okay. Um, you know, where Laura Dern, she has to go and she has to reset all of the fences. Remember that? She has to go one by one, right? The Velociraptor fence, the T-Rex fence, and she resets them all one by one. And what Jesus is doing now here and across the world is he's resetting the world to how it was meant to be. And he's banishing all the bad guys and sort of putting them away behind their cages forever. And as he does that, all of our relationships are changed. They're transformed by the gospel. And last week we saw how a relationship between a husband and a wife is changed. And uh, this week we're going to see how our relationships with parents is changed, um, ironically. And uh, also between slaves and masters. So what's that all about? Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. So read with me the first nine verses. Uh, listen, this is God's word. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, or your translation might say bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's ask God's blessing on this, his word. Father, we thank you uh, for your grace and your mercy and your peace extended to us in Christ. And Lord, we do thank you that you are resetting the world to rights. Lord, that you are banishing all sadness and uh, falsehood and sin and death and sickness. And that you are ushering in a wonderful new kingdom of joy where we see you face to face. Uh, meet with us now in your word by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there's a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. You may have heard of her or read one of her books. Uh, she is paralyzed from the shoulders down. 
She has written a lot of books, um, and she runs a disability ministry. ministry. It's like one of those amazing things where, like, she goes to prisons and does ministry in the prisons, and they make these special wheelchairs, and then they give them to people with disabilities. It's like this amazing, redemptive gospel thing. Um, But she wasn't always paralyzed. As a young woman, she was very active, and she was actually an avid uh, horseback rider until she um, had an accident and was paralyzed. And uh, she was on Larry King like 10 years ago. And uh, she took the guy that was interviewing her to this horse farm where all these people ride horses all day long, right? And she's like, I just love to come here and watch. And the interviewer was kind of, you know, he wanted to be sensitive, but he was like, why, why would you do that to yourself? Like, you're literally never going to ride a horse again. So, like, why would you go to a horse farm and watch people ride? Isn't that just terrible? And um, she said, you know, before my accident, I rode horseback. And whenever they're doing a lesson, I like to stop here and just watch. And I'm encouraged to know that one day I will ride again. And that's not a pie in the sky promise. That's a rock of Gibraltar solid reality that one day I'll ride again. And this is the key point. So I come here and watch just to make certain I don't forget how to ride. Jesus is coming, and Paul is showing us here that as he transforms our relationships, that we have an opportunity now, okay, in this world that is, yes, full of sin, uh, we have an opportunity now to practice how we will live forever in heaven. Namely, that we get to practice with each other how we're going to love God forever. It's like Jesus is calling us, in a sense, into the batting cage, right? And he's saying, I want you to get some warm-up. Now, and that what you're doing now, as you try desperately to love one another and serve one another, that's going to reverberate forever into heaven. I want you to do this now so you don't forget how and have practice for heaven. Um, So Paul talks about two relationships here. Uh, First, he talks about children and parents. So uh, how does the gospel transform our relationship with our parents? Um, it's really interesting. Paul's writing this letter to a church in a real place in Ephesus, right? And sort of a group of churches there. And uh, this letter would go around. But it's interesting. He's writing to these people and he's assuming that there's going to be married couples in the church. He addresses husbands and wives, right? He's assuming there's going to be single people in the church. He's assuming that there's going to be children in the church that would be hearing this. And what's even more amazing, he assumes that there's going to be slaves or like the lowest part of society and masters, the highest part of society, all together in this wonderful new community called the church. That it's supposed to be all these different kinds of people, and he's addressing all of them. Because Jesus is coming and saying, in my kingdom, I have a place for all of you. And I have a task for all of you, and I have a role for all of you to fit in. So Paul talks to kids, like he's talking to little kids. And uh, there in verse 1, and he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, it is not a Christian thing to obey your parents, okay? Every uh, stable society that has ever existed, this is part and parcel of it. Children have to obey their parents. Someone has to tell an 8-year-old that they can't get full sleeve tattoos. I mean, it's just part of life. Some eight-year-olds want to get full-sleeve tattoos, and they don't really know what's best for them, so they need their parents to exercise authority over them. Wherever you go in the world, 
It's just assumed naturally that children are to submit to their parents and obey them and be under their authority. But Paul isn't just saying, it's a good thing to do, so do it. Paul gives them a better motivation. Look what he says. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. He gives them this Christ-centered motivation. He's basically saying to them, look, your parents are really important. Okay, they've been put there by God. But as you love the Lord, in a sense, you love the Lord almost through other people. The best way that I know that you love the Lord is how you treat these very particular people in your lives. And so he's saying, obey your parents. God gave you these parents. I know some of you are like, are you sure? Are you sure? Um, God gave you these parents for a reason. Um, And by obeying and loving your parents, you're actually able to serve the Lord and to love him through that. Um, Because when you become a believer, and if you're not a believer and you're considering it, um, what happens is Jesus becomes your primary affection. He's at the top, right? Um, But he gives these really practical ways. And he says, if you want to love me, love my church. If you want to love me, love your parents. If you want to love me, love those who are below you. Love those who are above you, right? Love your husband, love your wife. Um, But you're loving me first above those things. Uh, Jesus also says in Matthew 10, to sort of bounce this out, hey, if uh, if you don't love me more than you love your parents, or you don't love me more than you love your son or daughter, then you're not worthy of me. Elsewhere, he says, if you don't hate your parents for my sake, you don't love me. He's saying, set me as your top affection, and then these other relationships are going to, in a sense, fall into place. Um, But it's interesting when he says, Paul says right after that in verse 2, honor your father and mother. He's quoting from the Ten Commandments. So you might be thinking, okay, well, I'm not a kid. Okay, and fair enough. Um, Except for Bonnie, you are still a kid. Um, You're the only one, though. He's, he's, so you, you're here now. You're like, I'm not a kid, but look, I'm going to be honest with you. College is not an adult environment. Okay? I love you. Um, I want you to come back. But you're not a kid anymore, right? And you're not an adult. Because some of you, like, the first day I met you, literally the day before you were living in your parents' house. You know? Um, and so college is this, this sort of transformational time where you go from being a kid to by the end of it, you come out really as an adult. Um, but some of you now, most of you now have a foot in both worlds, right? As a rule, if you still have your bedroom at your parents' house, okay, you have some accountability toward them, right? Um, that's just fair, okay? Let's just be real about it. Um, some of you, your, your parents are paying for you, at least partially, to be in school, Right? So you have some obligation to them. You're neither their peer totally or their child totally. You're sort of in this in-between time. But when Paul comes here and he says, um, honor your father and mother, he's like, look, yeah, this is about kids, but this is everybody. Every believer, regardless of their age, is called to honor their parents, no matter how old you are. Um, so how do, how do we honor our parents? You're like, okay, that sounds good in, in theory. But how, I mean, how do I actually go about doing this? Um, a couple of things. You are beginning to become your parents' peer. Okay, that's weird. That's actually really awkward. Okay, and like, okay, there's like nervous laughter. Okay, it, it really is actually awkward. Um, 
One of the big reasons why it's awkward, and I know this because I talk to y'all, is that you start to learn things about your parents when you get out of the house that you didn't know why you were there. Um, like, things are better than you thought, or things are worse than you thought. Um, I, I remember, man, I kind of went back and forth as to whether I was going to say this, but here we are. Um, <laughs> like, I remember going home during college, and my mom saying, we love when you come home, but when you come home, it's really hard for your father and I to be together, you know? And I was like, okay. Um, uh, it's a natural thing to grow to be your parents' peer, but it's awkward and it can be very, very weird. Um, so as you do that, a couple, a couple of thoughts as, as, as you're doing that. I know you guys, you're like, I realize stuff about my parents and I'm like, whoa, like my mind just got blown. Um, a couple of things. Uh, one of the ways that we don't honor our parents is by treating them like they're these immovable figures. Um, throughout your life, the most important people for most of you, if you were raised in a somewhat stable family, has been your parents. And they have to be pillars, right? They have to be consistent with you all the time. They're supposed to be. Um, and so we grow up, and by the time we leave the house, we think, our parents are grown-ups, so therefore they're already all grown up, right? The way they are now is the way that they're going to be forever, right? There's like several people laughing up here, and they all have adult kids. Um, but it's not true. Your parents are human beings, created in the image of God. Many of them are believers, and they're wrestling through major life issues. As you start to find out, they made mistakes. One of the ways that you can honor them is by recognizing that they're a person like you and that they're capable of growth and change. Um, that they're not going to be the same in 10 years as they are now. That they, that they want to grow. They want to hear from you. So you honor your parents by recognizing both their shortcomings, yet, but also their potential for growth as people. Okay? And now suddenly, you're part of that. Okay? So honor your parents by being their fan. By supporting them. They've supported you your whole life. Support them. Root for them. Cheer them on. Believe in your parents. Um, but we also honor our parents by listening to them. One of the great downfalls of being 18 to 22 is that suddenly, like, you know everything. And you have this incredibly cosmopolitan, you know, view of the world and so much, you know, perspective and wisdom, right? Um, uh, some, of, some of you do. Um, but, uh, and, I, and look, I know some of you have parents that you can't trust. Like, and I'm sorry. Um, the, Lord, the Lord can redeem that. He can work through that. I would love to talk to you about that. But for most of us, our parents are among the wisest people that we know. Please just be okay with that. Like, maybe you just think about the fact, I can ask them a question and, like, really listen to what they say and not just, if they don't tell me what I want to hear, just ignore what they're saying. Like, extend your parents the honor. Crown them with the respect of going, Mom, Dad, what do you think about this? And actually caring and actually listening. Does that mean that you have to do everything they say? No. Okay? It is, neither is it honoring to your parents just to say, you tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life, and then I'll just do it. Okay? 
Um, you're not honoring them. You're, you're telling them, you did a bad job raising me because I can't be an adult in the world. Um, but ask for their advice and listen seriously. John Frame said, um, from those we respect, we expect to learn, and we are willing to change out of respect for their words. Even a parent with which, that, that makes it hard for you to have a relationship with, um, crown them with honor by seeking their advice and taking it seriously. Because as we honor and respect our parents, we're honoring and respecting Jesus. Jesus is like, you know, I love Jesus, but I just can't stand my parents, so I don't talk to them. That is such garbage. Um, I don't believe anything you just said about Jesus. Because clearly the gospel isn't transforming your heart at all. So where you can at least give your parents the benefit of the doubt. Okay, this is my favorite one. Um, we honor our parents by acting like adults. Uh, I'm not belittling any of you guys, okay? Let's just be honest about what's where we are, okay? Like, we're growing right now. Um, one of the guys that started RUF, his name was Bebo. I'm not really sure if that was his real name. Um, but it's a great name, and I'm glad he has it now. Um, he always gives this great speech about growing up. You're like, ah, I don't know. Like, I think this is the one, and I think I, think I want to marry them, but I just don't know if I'm ready. He's like, okay, well, you're going to grow up eventually, so just grow up now. Like, just, just be an adult now. So you guys are like, I'm so afraid to grow up. It's like, it's okay. Like, it's going to happen. Please don't let it happen when you're 30. Make a decision now that everyone wants their parents to treat them like an adult. Okay? They need to respect me like an adult. But I throw tantrums all the time. Well, uh, make a decision right now that you're, I'm, I'm serious, that you're done with tantrums. But, but daddy, you know, like, just make a decision now. I'm going to communicate my expectations clearly to my parents. I'm going to ask for their opinion. I'm going to care about what they say. And if you don't hear anything else tonight, okay, um, God bless you. That's it. God bless you all. <laughs> Let us pray. Um, uh, you want your parents to treat you like an adult? Act like an adult by, if they give you money, if they're paying for any part of your college experience right now, the best way that you can honor and respect your parents is by taking that money seriously. That sounds like it's so practical. You're like, this has nothing to do with the Bible. This has everything to do with the Bible. How are you treating your parents' money? Like, are you like, mom, dad, I'm being very careful about this. I'm budgeting. Just food for thought. We honor... As we honor our parents, we practice honoring our Father in heaven, which is what we're going to be doing forever. So why not just start right now? Okay. So that's, that's our parents. Um, but then Paul moves on to this category of slaves and masters. Um, okay, so a little bit about that. Okay, your, your, your translation might say bondservant. The, the word really there should be slave. A, a tremendous amount of people in the ancient world were, it, were enslaved people. Um, probably about 35% or more of Italy and Greece in the first century were slaves. Okay? Um, that's millions and millions and millions of people. It was a gigantic social uh, institution. Paul wrote letters to 10 churches and individuals. And in seven of those, the, the issue of slavery comes up. Um, again, I'm just struck. 
this gospel is, is going out and all these people are being gathered in where there's like a slave and a master and they come together to worship. Okay? This isn't the, the day of divided, segregated churches. Like these people are worshiping together as brothers and so he addresses them as such. And Paul writes to both sides of that coin. He talks to slaves and he talks to masters. And now look, the very idea of slavery itself is disgusting. Okay? It is deplorable, awful. That anyone should own another person, no matter how good the condition is, is just unimaginable. It should be. I'm thankful that you know that you guys are doing stuff with trafficking because this is this is slavery. Um, but just the idea of it is deplorable, and this is not a gospel ideal. I don't care what anybody told you in your class. Hear me telling you right now that the Bible does not condone owning other people. Okay? It does not. It is despicable and it's disgusting. In the ancient world, slavery, uh, perhaps a bit different than we consider it. There was a wide spectrum. Okay? Slaves that were, that were beaten at the bottom of everything. Slaves that were poets and politicians, cherished and loved. It was possible in many cases to, be, to buy yourself out. Okay? Okay? There was a wide spectrum in the ancient world. That is very unlike Western and particularly American slavery in the 18th and 19th century. Okay? Um, part of me just wants this to be like, if this is the only place where you've heard a Christian person talking about slavery, just know that it's crap. Okay? That it's absolute crap. Especially what happened in America. And I love America, and I love the South. Um, son of the South, okay? Um, but what happened in the 18th and 19th century in America was deplorable. It was, it was man-stealing. It was a group of people going, kidnapping people, separating their families, selling them into slavery, and treating them like less than human. And the worst part about it is that it fell along a racial line. So that people that, in the ancient world, this is like prisoners of war and all this stuff. I mean, this is like kind of everyone looks similar. What happens in America is, I see you and you look different, so therefore I can treat you as a, as a subhuman person. Okay? That's perhaps the one of the worst parts about American slavery. Exodus 21.16 says this. Whoever steals a man and seeks to sell him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Okay, deplorable. The Bible does not support it. This is not a, a result of a gospel community whatsoever. It's garbage. It's crap. The practice of American slavery grieved God. And we should continue to, to feel the shame of it, okay? Yet, something amazing happened in the midst of a terribly sinful social co construct in America, especially in the South. Um, some of the sweetest and most thoughtful and most heartfelt Christian devotion that the world has ever seen came from American slaves. Um, songs like Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Um, were, do you guys, you guys know singing, like, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? At, at Easter, as a song we always sing together. That is an African-American slave song, okay, that we sing together, and it's beautiful. Um, and one of my favorite is a song called Beams of Heaven. Um, do we do Beams of Heaven in REF? I didn't even ask Zeke. Not yet. Not yet, but we're going to, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Zeke. Um, Beams of Heaven is one of my favorite hymns. It was written by a man named Charles Tenley. 
in uh, the late 1800s. His father was a slave and his mother was free. So that made him technically free, but he grew up among slaves. He taught himself music, how to, how to play music, how to, how to read and, and compose music. And uh, as he worked as a janitor, he put himself through seminary by correspondence. So he, wrote, he read everything on his own on his spare time and uh, wrote all of his papers and everything and got his seminary degree that way. And then later became the pastor of the church that he was the janitor at. Uh, Charles Timley, uh, an amazing man. He was really one of the two fathers of American gospel music. Um, but Beams of Heaven, I love it. I just want to read a couple of stanzas. Okay, keep in mind, I mean, this is a person that is a Christian. Okay, He's free in Christ, and he's dealing with the bondage that he finds himself in and that he comes from. Harder yet may be the fight. Right may often yield to might. Wickedness a while may reign. Satan's cause may seem to gain. But there is a God that rules above with hand of power and heart of love. And if I'm right, he'll fight my battle. I shall have peace someday. Burdens now may crush me down. Disappointments all around. Troubles speak in mournful sigh. Sorrow through a tear-stained eye. There is a world where pleasure reigns. No mourning soul shall roam its plains. And to that land of peace and glory, I shall want to go someday. Charles Tinley had the hope of the gospel. And it changed him in his circumstance. That hymn has ministered to me in, in great times of need. And I'm thankful for the faith of that man. The gospel is able to do something amazing. Think about a sinful social construct like slavery, okay? Which there is no excuse for, okay? Uh, it is a sin by its very nature. Think of it as like this impenetrable fortress, right? And you would think, okay, the gospel is going to get at this and tear this thing down. It's going to go through the front gate, okay? But Jesus does something very interesting, very subversive and very uh, amazing. Jesus works in people's hearts. That's what I mean. Jesus works in someone's heart that is enslaved, literally in chains. And he comes to them and he changes their heart so they suddenly know their heavenly father loves them, adores them, dotes on them, okay? And that they are free and accepted in God. And somehow... Without condoning at all the social, the sinful social concept, which is a sin, he is free, okay, to do what? To serve someone that is oppressing him. Okay, Jesus had teeth when he said, pray for those and bless those that persecute you. Okay, he meant that for real. And uh, a free, and now a person enslaved, it's enslaved, but suddenly free in heart is able to do that, okay? And then a master, a person that previously thought that this person was a possession. This is what happens to them. They realize when Jesus becomes in and invades their heart, this person is a brother. Because they're created in the image of God, and I'm a sinner. I have no business standing in front of God except by Jesus, and so do they. Paul comes to them 
to masters, and he's, it's interesting in verse 9. Masters, he says, do the same to them. He told slaves, okay, okay uh, work, serve your master. And then he says, master, do the same to them. Right? In Colossians, he actually says, treat them justly and fairly. So that suddenly, their hearts open, and they hear Jesus saying, as you have done to the least of these, you have done it to me. And he has now a brother. So imagine that fortress. Okay, that impenetrable fortress. And you think, okay, the gospel's going to go and just ram right through it, right? Jesus invades hearts. He works with hearts. And instead of going through the door, he digs down below the fortress. And he gets down to the foundation of the entire thing. And he begins to transform it and change it and tunnel underneath until suddenly the entire construct falls in on itself. The love of Christ and his transforming grace is subversive. So suddenly, no one saw it coming. But the whole thing has fallen and it's toppled onto itself. Um, I'm sure you all have read the book of Philemon. Um, it's typical uh, devotional study. The book of Philemon is really short. It has one chapter. Philemon is, uh, was, a, was a man that was a Christian. And he was also a slave-owning man. And he had this slave, and his name was Onesimus. Okay? And Onesimus ran away. And Onesimus ended up with Paul. And he became a Christian. And Paul writes a letter to Philemon, this, this the man's slave owner, on behalf of Onesimus, and this is what he says. Um, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. He's like, look, I'm in chains and I'm writing you and I could command you to do this. But for love's sake, I'm going to appeal to your heart. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. That's the slave who became a Christian. Whose father I became an imprisonment. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment in the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. And this is, for this is perhaps why he was parted from me for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and to the Lord. And then Paul says, you know what? And if he owes you anything, you come to me and I'll pay it. He says, I could force you to do this. I have all the authority of Jesus, yet I appeal to your heart because it's in Jesus. Show me that you're a Christian and accept this man as a brother. All sinful constructs are going to be toppled by the gospel as it subversively goes underneath and gets at our hearts. Okay. But hopefully none of us find ourselves in this situation now. Does this passage have any application to us? Uh, I I don't want to treat it tritely, um, but I I, I think yes, some. Because there are certain people in your life that own at least a certain part of you, right? Your professors, you're called to be a student right now. That is your vocation. Your professors determine partially your future, okay? Okay. That is in their hands. I know know you feel that way because you talk talk to me about it. Um, How do we honor those people that are, in a sense, above us and, in a sense, own part of us? 
we can think about our employers, but especially our professors. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Look at what Paul says in verse 5. Okay, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. Okay, that's a weird word that comes in the Greek. Eye service, people pleasers. He's saying, look, when you're doing your work in class, don't, please don't be the guy that, like, is kind of just doing normally, and then you look to see if your professor is looking, and then you're suddenly amazing. Like, don't be a brown noser. Because what, what's happening when, when, you treat, when you seek to please your professor is you, you suddenly don't worship God. Remember I said last week, my wife said, it's impossible for me to follow your lead on your own. But when I'm looking at Jesus... All I can do is, is, is want to follow you, want to serve you, right? That's, that's what she said. As we're looking to Jesus, we can do our work in a way that honors our professors. Even if their requirements are unfair. Even if you don't respect them. It's not about your professor. Even if they're like the biggest unbelieving pagan ever, and you're just like, oh, they just don't even care about the Bible, and they just, you know... Stop all this crap about my Jesus. You can love them. Jesus loved you. Okay? It's not about your professor. It's about Jesus. Don't question their motives, please. Understand, I'm the student. They're the teacher. Submit your work to them, even when it's unfair. Um, I just want to say this last thing, because uh, my friend, and by my friend, I mean my wife, um, when uh, she, she was wonderful and always is, in seminary, she worked, right? She put us through seminary. And when we moved from Philadelphia to Charlotte to go to seminary, she's a really, really good textile designer, okay? Like, she's very good. Her work has been featured in many high-end retail places that she doesn't want me to say. And um, anthropology and such. Um, <laughs> and um, she was working for a textile design firm in Philly, and we moved to Charlotte, and she just assumed that she could keep doing that because she's very good and it's a freelancing job. And, um, but she signed a non-compete when she was at her former job. And, but it wasn't a big deal. We moved to Charlotte. She was going to work for a company that was really in no way competing with her former company. So she said, oh, it won't be a big deal. I, but I want to call them because I put my, my name on this piece of paper, and I want to honor them. So she calls them, hey, I'm going to work for this company. This one lets you know. And they're like, no. You can't do that. You signed a piece of paper. You can't do any freelance textile design for the next year. Okay? Which really sucked, considering she was supposed to be, like, making the money. Um, we talked to some friends, even Christian friends that were lawyers, and they said, look, this, this non-compete has no teeth. They can't do anything to you. It's totally unfair. You should just ignore it and work. Because you have the right to your own income to, to, to maintain your own livelihood. You got a very expensive degree from a fancy art school and you have every right to do this no matter what they say. It was unfair. They treated her badly and she gained my respect forever by working at the mall because she said, I'm going to honor these people that have treated me badly and they're being unfair, but I put my name and I'm going to choose to honor Jesus. And what she did was she served them I don't think they had any idea what to do with someone that was like, okay, the Lord will provide for me. She sought the Lord. She didn't seek to be eye service, people pleasing. She sought the Lord. And that is subversive love in the gospel. 
Um, the love of Christ transforms sinners and all of our relationships in every single way. And now, you have the opportunity with your parents and with your professors and all that are over you to love them and to give them a taste of our Jesus. Okay? If you don't know that taste, does, I mean, doesn't that sound better than whatever you've got going on right now? Whatever motivation you have for your parents or for your life or for your vocation, doesn't this sweet transforming gospel sound better? And if you have Jesus, you can begin to exercise those muscles now in serving him. And I promise you, it will reverberate forever into heaven. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love to us that really changes us. Thank you for not really... You came down to the bottom so that you would be back on top because we need you desperately to be our God. And we need, our hearts desperately need to worship you. Lord, change us. Uh, pull our hands off the steering wheel. Draw us to you in grace and change our world. Uh, make things the way that they're supposed to be. In Jesus' name, amen.